Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. You know, the storm that the Apostle Paul and uh, others had been in was now approaching two weeks in its intensity. If you can imagine being on a ship in the Mediterranean Sea during a storm that would just be raging all around you for two straight weeks, I know how I would feel, and I would feel sick, first of all, and second of all, I would have been pretty discouraged uh, over what had been taking place. If you remember the crew of that ship, which was a uh, Egyptian freighter that was on its way to Rome with a, uh, uh, they had a cargo of grain, and they were headed to Rome, that crew had done everything they could to keep that ship together. We looked at last week how they tied ropes around the ship and tightened it down and how they got rid of some tackling and some cargo, anything they could to lighten the load of the ship. And they were doing everything to survive, but we know that they reached a point where they basically said, we have no more hope left. And last week, that's what we focused on is that what do you do in those times and those storms of life where you feel like there is no hope left at all, where you are totally and completely without hope. Well, that ship of 276 people seemed desperate, and it seemed like there was no one at all who had any hope for a, a, a survival or for a future life, but there was one man on that ship by the name of the Apostle Paul, or Paul as we know him, who did have hope, and he spoke up that night in the middle of the storm. And you got to imagine yourself in there. We tried to do that a little bit last week. You got to imagine yourself in that boat and maybe in the bottom, and as that that boat is creaking and uh, in the waves, and they're hitting up against the side, and there's water pouring in, and everybody's soaking wet and exhausted and tired, and people are crying out uh, to their false gods. And Paul, above the noise of that, cried out to those men, and he said, hey, guys, I just want you to know that everything's going to be okay. I want you to know that, I, that, that my God who, who knows me and I am his and the God who has given me a, a purpose and a reason to live, he has told me that everybody on this ship is going to survive. And he gave them four thoughts in that passage that we looked at last week where he said that he was God's possession and he recognized the presence of God in his life. And because he recognized the presence of God, he knew that God had given him a purpose. And because God had given him a purpose, he could completely trust in the promises of God. And that's the same thing for us today. See, when we find ourselves in the storms of life, when we find ourselves in the difficult moments, in those trials and those temptations and those just times of life, we're just like, what is happening to me? You know, why am I going through this? Why am I so exhausted? Uh, why did they say that? Why did, uh, why did that come back up again in my life? And, and you're, you're so discouraged and you're, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're, it's a trial and you're having a hard time. The same truth that Paul said there, you can hold on to, which is you are God's. If you are saved today, you are his possession. And if you're his possession, then he's given you a reason to live. He's given you a purpose to be on this, uh, in in this world. And and because of that, we can trust his promises. Paul, he said to those men in verse number 25, think about this, in the middle of the storm, he said to them, be of good cheer. He said, be of good cheer. That means take courage, be encouraged, be lifted up. And then he said this, for I believe God. I love that right there. I love that. He said, I believe God. He made a public declaration. He said out loud and verbally, he said, I believe that God is going to be able to walk with me. I believe that God is going to bring me uh, through this difficulty. And to me, sometimes you just need to make a public declaration of God's glory, don't you? Sometimes you just need to say, God, I believe uh, that you're in control. And it's not even a bad thing to say it out loud. 
I don't know if you did that this week. I, I definitely did this week. There were times where I said, God, I believe in you. Uh, I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why this circumstance has come along. But Lord, I believe in you and I believe your promises and I'm trusting that you will do what he has said. And for Paul, for some 27 years now, since he accepted Christ as his Savior, has been walking by faith and has been living in that way where he has seen God consistently fulfill his uh, promises. Here's the thing that we also see is that Paul was somebody who lived with a present courage because of what God had done in his past. Now, that's something we've talked about a lot here at City Baptist. That's something we've mentioned many times, and we've brought it up many times that, listen, your past and what God has done in your past is something that can encourage you and give you courage and strength uh, for the future. But our problem is, is that our memories are too short. Our memories are like goldfish. Did you know that goldfish have very short memories? Now, if you want to research it, don't do it now during the service. Go and check it out later on. Uh, but there's varying, you know, it's a very, it's actually among the scientific community, there is some debate in the uh, longevity of the goldfish's memory. But most people agree it's very short. Uh, some say it's as short as a few seconds long. Some say it's just a few hours long. But regardless, the problem is, is we're like goldfish in this sense. God does something for us, right? And God walks with us through a valley and he leads us to uh, new pastures and he blesses us. And then in five minutes, we have another trial come along and we completely forget that God had just been with us. And that's what I'm trying to get at. As we forget what he's done so quickly, we need to be like elephants, right? Apparently elephants have long memories. Apparently, actually, no, let's be like the crow, the common Vancouver crow, because crows have an incredible memory. Did you know this? Did you know they have generational memories? They can pass down memories to their children. How weird is that? Uh, the reason I know that is because I've studied it out extensively. I have hundreds of hours of study in the uh, memory of the crow. No, I have one crow that tries to hit me on the top of the head every time I walk up and down the street. So I know he knows me, and every time I try to hit him, and anyway, he remembers month after year after year, same crow. He always comes after me. But uh, that's what you need to be like. Not <laughs> you need to have a good memory. You need to remember what God has done for you and how He has walked you uh, through uh, difficult times. Well, this was the belief that Paul was operating under. He was operating under. Under the belief, even though he's in the middle of a storm for 14 days now, he believed and he knew that God was going to walk with him through the difficulties and walk with him through the valleys. Well, we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter number 27. And uh, let's turn there to Acts chapter 27 and uh, verse uh, number 32. Acts chapter 27, and we're going to begin reading in uh, verse number uh, 32. All right, here we go. It says this, uh, then the, uh, sorry, let's look at verse number 27. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Verse number 27. But when the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. So they're like, all right, we're getting near to land. We just have a feeling. So how do they know that? Well, verse 28, and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern, and they wished for the day. You're like, well, what's going on here? Well, of course, today, ships have modern technology and radar and all that. They can bounce sonar off the bottom, and they can understand, you know, the depth of the ship and where they are. But in those days, they would do something called sounding, and it was often done with a rope. And a rope would have a knot tied in it every, or a mark of some sort, tied every fathom, which a fathom is six feet. Now you know, you can use that today at work or this week at work uh, and uh, maybe measure something. And man, that guy was over a fathom tall, you know? And uh, anyway, okay, I think it's good. Uh, so six feet. So they began to sound and they found and they discovered that they were about 120 feet depth. And then they checked again later on and it was 90 feet. So they thought, okay, we must be getting close to land or something. And that's why in that next verse, they said there, and fearing lest we should fall upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and they wished for day. So it's the middle of the night. 
They're like, we're getting close to land. We can't see it. The storm is still raging. So let's throw these anchors out and let's try to get locked in. And then in the day, we'll be able to figure out where we were. Well, verse number 30, something is afoot. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color, as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. You say, what's going on here? Well, something happened here where the crew decided that they wanted to get off the boat. They are going to abandon ship. They're like, we're close enough. I'm out of here. And so they get this ship together, or they get this little boat that all of these ships would have. They have this little boat. They get in it, and they tell the guys. They say, undercolor means under pretense. They say, yeah, we're going to go out, and we're going to put an anchor out further out so that the ship's going to be secure. That was a common thing in a small boat. You go out, drop the anchor. But in reality, did you notice there, they were trying to flee the ship. So they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go drop another anchor, but they were going to get out of it. They were going to abandon ship and leave everybody on that ship. Well, Paul was up, and he I don't know if he suspected this was coming, but either way, Paul is up in the middle of the night, and he tells the soldiers, he says, if those guys go and they take off, notice what he said there, except they abide in the ship, you cannot be saved, meaning no one here is going to be saved unless those guys are on this ship. God's promise to me was that everybody on the ship is going to be saved. So if they try to take off now, it's not going to happen. Well, look what happens in verse number 32. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. I would have loved to experience that, you know. They come running over and they cut the ropes and that little boat goes falling over and those guys who were going to abandon ship are like, hey, what are you doing? You know, we're trying to, oh, we know what you're up to. And so they cut it, the boat falls, and off they go. Verse number 33. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having, uh, having taken nothing. He says, wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. So what happens here? Well, the thing that I noticed, first of all, is that there was some calm brought back to the ship. Do you notice that? It seems very calm to me. Paul says to the guys, well... You know what? We're nearing the end. It's daytime now. Uh, we're pretty close to shore. Hopefully something's going to happen, but we need to make sure that we get some strength. And so he encourages them, eat something. Apparently they hadn't been eaten for uh, two weeks. I don't know if it's because they were seasick or uh, they were fasting in order to pray to their gods, whatever it was. He says, you need to eat something. You need to have some strength. And just that time of Paul breaking the bread and blessing it and of giving it to those people, it was something that brought courage and brought uh, a joy to the men that were there on, uh, on the ship. And then look at verse number 38. It says, uh, sorry, verse number 37. And we were in all in the ship, 203 score and 16 souls. That's 276 men. Verse number 38. And when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. So they finally get rid of the final part of their cargo. They were a grain ship and they finally get rid of all of it. They're into, uh, into, the, into the ocean. They try to lighten the ship as much as possible. And then uh, we see in verse, uh, verse number 39, and when it was day, they knew not the land. So they didn't know where they were, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. 
And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and uh, hoisted up the mainsail to the wind, and they made towards shore. Now, this sounds exciting to me. I don't know if you saw that or not, but man, I'm kind of pumped about what was happening here. So think about it. You've been on the ocean for 14 days. You've been uh, facing a storm, that just unbelievable storm. You've barely survived, and now the sun comes up, and you discover that you are close enough that you can actually see land. And not only can you see land, but you see a small bay with a little bit of an opening in it, and you're like, we are headed for that place. Now, I have a picture of that exact bay of where, uh, where they were, and we can put that up there. This is called St. Paul's Bay. Do you see that there? It's kind of interesting. And I want you to notice, up. it looks great. I'd love to go vacation there. Uh, but it looks like, see up there in the top right-hand corner, there's a little a little spot right there where people can go through. And I want you to think about this for a minute. That might very well be the spot that they saw from the ocean. So they're in the middle of a storm. And then the captain is like, all right, guys, I see an opening. It's only this big. He called it a creek. I see a little opening there. And we're going to go for this thing. And, and, uh, and so we're just going to give her. That's something my brother-in-law says when we're snowboarding and we're on this like really steep hill and I'm scared or there's a big jump and he wants me to go for it. He's like, just say, give her. That's what he says. Just give her and go for it. That's what I think happened here. The captain's like, let's go for it. So it says they put up the sail, they pulled out the anchors and they aim for that little gap and they're like, we're going for it. I mean, the adrenaline rush, right? Think about it. Think about what it's like when you merge onto the Patello Bridge. (laughs) <laughs> or when you go over, we're on Main Street, you know, in, in North Van, and you're about to get on the iron workers, and there's that little gap, and you see a gap, and what do you do, man? You hit the gas. I'm going for it. I'm going to make it. Think about that adrenaline. They just work. The ship's going, man. We're going to survive this. Look at verse number of 41. They didn't quite make it. And falling into a place... <laughs> Where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. <laughs> so, man, they came to a stop. They ran the ship aground there, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder, the back part, was broken with the violence of the waves. They didn't quite make it, but look there. The front part of the ship hits the shore. They get stuck. The storms and the waves, though, are so violent. you got to think of a wooden ship uh, runs aground. It's going to begin to break up a bit and to splinter and to separate. And so the waves, though, are still coming in. There's still a storm. And it begins to break up the back of the ship, and it begins to split apart. And they're in a bit of a difficult situation here. In verse number 42, and so then the soldier's counsel was to kill the prisoners. <laughs> think about this. They were on the ocean for 14 days. We go for it. We run aground. We don't quite make it. The soldiers are like, kill everybody. Kill all of, the, all of the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. Now, this doesn't seem right to us. But again, we have to remember Roman soldiers, right? Roman soldiers, when they had a prisoner entrusted to them, uh, they were responsible for their lives. And if they lost a prisoner, they could very well lose their own life. And so just to mitigate any issues, they're worried about their own lives. Let's just kill all the prisoners. And then we can at least say, yeah, they're over there you know, when you get out, I know where they are, I know where their bodies are. And so they say, let's kill uh, all of these prisoners. It would have been instinctive for those soldiers, but here we see the sovereign hand of God begin to work. Look at verse uh, 43. But the centurion, what was his name? His name was Julius, remember, from before. The centurion Julius, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose. He kept them from their purpose and commanded that they uh, which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe 
to land. Well, Paul obviously had made an, a, an impression on this centurion. And so he was willing to overrule what the other soldiers had said to do. And he said, no, I don't want Paul to have to lose his life. I want him to survive. And so he says, guys, let's just all go for it. Let's just uh, trust that what Paul said is going to come to pass. He said, we're all going to be okay. So let's just trust him and let's go. To me, that is a great example of the power of a Christian testimony. Uh, he had such a testimony here with, uh, with Julius, the centurion, that he was willing to risk maybe even his own life in order to make sure that Paul and the other prisoners would survive. Now think about that for a moment. You know, I hope that there's a point in your life where maybe because of your Christian testimony, somebody takes notice, somebody recognizes you, someone uh, protects uh, maybe your job or uh, promotes you in your job because of your Christian testimony. If you've ever experienced that, man, what a blessing that is. What a blessing it is to have such a testimony that when, when maybe your job is at jeopardy or maybe some trials could come along your way, people said, you know what, I trust you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you. I'm going to make sure that I'm there for you. God uses uh, those in so many different ways, and, and God has blessed many believers because of their Christian testimony. And Paul here was saved from death because of his uh, rapport and his connection there with, uh, with the centurion. Well, they cut the prisoners' bonds, it tells us, and they all jump overboard. They're like, if you can swim... Go overboard and swim. If you can't swim, that's me. I got my hand up. Uh, you know, you find a broken piece of ship, you know, or you, you find something and you float there into it and they all go and they head into land. And it says there at the end of the verse, it came to pass that they all escaped or they escaped all safe to land. Now think about that for a minute. In the middle of a storm, in the middle of this crazy time, every single person survived, survived that shipwreck. And I wonder if Paul, when they all got there on shore, thought back to what Solomon had said when the Ark of the Covenant was returned to the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56, where he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promises. I wonder if Paul thought that. You know, God, you promised it. And I can't believe it. Everything that you said has come to pass, and we are all safe. I was thinking about the response of the men as they got to the shore. I was thinking about those 275 men and uh, other than the Apostle Paul that when they arrived and they began to look around and maybe they did a head count, I'm sure the soldiers were like, we're counting, every, you know, I know I've got 10, I know I have 10 prisoners and I want to make sure that I've got all of them. And so they begin to take, uh, take names and they're checking everybody. And then they realize that every single person had survived that. I mean, think about what that would have been like. Imagine maybe they're high-fiving each other, you know, you made it. I, when I saw you go overboard, I thought there's no way you're making it. But man, you're here. Everybody's there. Everyone is accounted for. And I wonder if they thought back to what Paul had told them the night before where he said, everyone's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. My God has promised us that we're going to survive. John Phillips, he's a commentator, and he wrote this on the passage. He said this. He said, two weeks of terror were passed. He said, it would have been a callous heart indeed that had no prayer of thanks to God. It would have been a calloused heart that did not give some praise and some thanks to God, even if it was misguided. Now, we don't know if there was a great turning to Christ here at all, but we don't, definitely don't know if Paul received any sort of recognition for his uh, encouragement and the words that he said. But here's what we see. This group of people, they're back on land. They would have been soaked through, think about it, completely soaked through. They would have been mentally, physically exhausted. Can you imagine two weeks on the ocean? Two weeks of seasickness, two weeks of not knowing if you're going to survive. I mean, I don't know about you, but I got to take a whole day off if I'm just going to the dentist for a cleaning. You know, like I, that's a traumatic experience. I need a lot of time off. And these guys had two weeks of just intensity and two weeks of struggle. But here they are in Acts chapter 28 now as we transition chapters. 
we see them on this island. At the time, they didn't know where they were, but they finally discovered that they were on an island called Melita. Verse number one, when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Now, this is interesting. They didn't know where they were originally, but they did find out. And when they found out where they were, this island of Melita, they would have known where it was. They would have understood, okay, this is a, a well-known place. In fact, the word Melita means refuge. It's a place of, of, of refuge. And in fact, that island had many different bays and ports where ships would uh, stop to get out of storms or to, to winter there. And so they would have understand it. But what we know is today it's called a place called Malta. And I've got a map here. You can see where it is. Uh, Sicily is just north of it. But if I was to zoom out a little bit and to show you the whole map, what we notice is that the storm had carried them 750 kilometers away from their initial port there on Crete. Now, you remember they said, hey, let's go up north Crete. Let's go to Phoenix, right? Or Phoenix. Let's go that 60 kilometers north and there we'll spend the whole winter. And Paul said, no, don't do it. And they went for it anyway. 750 kilometers away is where they end up. And they just happen to run into this little tiny island out of all of that. Man, that's the providence of God, definitely. God's protective hand upon them. But now they're here. They're on the shore. The ship is wrecked. There's 275 soaking wet, cold, freezing guys that are there on the shore. And then they get a ray of hope and comfort in verse number two. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. So if it says no little kindness, that means a lot of kindness. So they received kindness for they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. Well, the locals took notice of the shipwreck in the morning, you know, as they got up and had their morning coffee and kind of looked out over the ocean. Hey, there's a ship. And look at all these guys swimming in like, you know, drowning rats escaping. And there's a big shipwreck. They're going to tell everyone. And, and they all come down there and they're known as barbarous people or barbarians. Now think about that for a moment. They call these guys barbarians. So, you know, to me, I think like cavemen, like dragging a club, you know, like coming on down there. And, and But no, barbarians were anyone... Uh, anyone who wasn't Greek, who wasn't Roman, that's what they called them. You're a barbarian. If you didn't speak those languages, you're a barbarian. So uh, that they, these people were not like what you're thinking. They're, they're just, they're normal people. Okay. Just so you know, they were Phoenicians, but they were called barbarians or the barbarous people of the area. And they're far from how we would view a barbarian acting because what do they do? They come down, they build a fire. It says they receive them all, meaning they welcome them. Welcome to Malta. We're glad you're here today. We trust your journey was a divine journey. You know? And they welcomed them and they built a fire and they began to take care of these guys. Man, that, that fire, think about it. That fire would have been amazing, right? You're not having fires on a wooden ship, right? So I mean, imagine having a fire and being warmed by that fire and getting out of your wet clothes, and I'm sure they're pulling branches and putting their clothes out and trying to dry off. Maybe they brought them some food, but that must have just been an amazing, amazing thing. Man, these guys have been through a lot, hadn't they? They had suffered, I mean, tremendously. I don't think any of us could even begin to understand what it would be like to be out at sea in a storm for 14 days and experience something like that. These guys have been through a lot of things, and now here they are, they got a big fire going. They're starting to warm up a little bit. Maybe they're eating some more food. They're reuniting. They're so happy that they survived. These guys deserve, especially Paul, deserve some rest, and they definitely deserve some time to recover. But that's not how it's going to go down. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, <laughs> things don't always go how we think they should go for him. And that's what I want to focus the rest of our time on this morning, because even though the storm is over, there's still some more things that are in the works for the Apostle Paul. Even though the storm is over and it feels like, okay, everything's okay, we can relax, we can, we can rest, there's still some things that are coming for Paul. Because I think you guys realize this, even though sometimes the storms of life come and go, even when the storm is over, it doesn't mean that we can necessarily ease up. <laughs> 
Just because the storm is over doesn't mean that, all right, it's smooth sailing from now on and I'm, I'm going to have no problems. No. As Christians especially, we know that whether it's in the storm or whether it's in the, the good times, we always have an adversary who's looking to attack us, an adversary who's looking to bring us down. And I got to tell you today, Satan does not care if it's a storm and you're at your weakest or if things are going great and you're feeling fantastic. He's going to continue to bring trials and difficulty and he's going to attack us whether we're at the end of ourselves or whether we got everything together. He'll attack you when you're stressed and he'll attack you when you're relaxed. And that's what we see with the Apostle Paul here. We think, man, the guy just came. He literally just swam. Off. I don't know if he could swim or not. Or he floated. He just got off this boat. And right away, we're going to see some things come along. And it begins in verse number uh, three of Acts chapter 28. He didn't have time to rest. Look at this. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. I, I want you to pick up on this detail right here. I mean, this really got me as I was reading the passage because I look at Paul, right? And remember, we try to put ourselves in Paul's sandals, right? Remember we've done that? Although he maybe was missing one after the shipwreck and swimming in, you know? So maybe he's got one, maybe he's got part of a sandal on him still. But if we put ourselves in his shoes, I mean, think about being and going through that again. I mean, and, and as well, he was the one who had warned them, don't go, you know, don't leave from the city. And so he could have just been like, I told you so, and you caused me all these issues. And, and then he said, we're going to survive. And they tried to fight him and they tried to escape. And if there was anybody who said, who, who could have been like, man, I'm done. I'm going to find a, a, some sand. I'm going to kind of dig out a hole and I'm going to go to sleep. I mean, you think about it, if this was me, I mean, I'd be two weeks on the couch after this, right? My remote in one hand, some tacofino on a plate in the other. I'm not going anywhere. Skip the dishes in for the next two weeks. I need to rest. I've been on a boat for two weeks. But what do we see the Apostle Paul doing? We see him, first of all, point number one, we see Paul served unaffected. Now, I don't miss this. He had just been through maybe something more traumatic than any of us will go through. But yet we see him serving other people. We don't see him, you know, moving to the front of the line. Hey, I deserve to be in front of this fire before all you guys. <laughs> hey, where's the food? Come on, somebody hook me up. I've been up all night making sure you guys didn't try to jet on me and leave the ship. I better get some food first before any of you. We don't see him doing that. We see him out looking for dry wood in a rainy, stormy day. <laughs> I don't know if you ever, I, I've done that a few times where I've been camping way up in the mountains, you know, and it's raining and we got to find dry wood for a fire. That's very hard to do. And he's out and he's gathering things. And it tells us that he goes and he's gathering sticks and he's getting dry wood for the fire. Why? Because he wants to serve other people. He wants to serve those guys who survived that storm because more than anything else, the Apostle Paul knew that he was a servant of Christ. In Colossians 3, he said, whatsoever you do, he said, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. How can we do that? Well, knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. He said that whatever I'm going to do in life, I'm going to do it with my whole heart because I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. And so if it means that I just got off a shipwreck, I'm still going to try to serve other people. And to me, there's some great application thoughts from just this little detail. See, Paul served those people in the storm and he served them outside of the storm. He served them in the difficulty, and he served them when everything was like, hey, we're rescued, we're alive, we're okay. He served them in both of those situations. You know, something that's so common in the Christian life that I find is that uh, whenever things are difficult for us, let's say we're going through a hard time financially, uh, or we're just facing a trial um, with, with, uh, with an individual or whatever, or, or we're just struggling, we feel like we're being attacked on all sides, something that's very common in the Christian life is that when we're in a storm, when we're in a difficult time, what do we do? We get right with God, right? Right? Don't we? Man, we start going to church super faithfully. 
It's like, I'm not going to. In fact, we go, we're, we're there early and we're on time. And we, we try to help out in some way. Like, hey, can I, can I serve in a certain way? Uh, one of the things that's common is when we're in a difficult time, uh, people begin to maybe give again. They stop giving for a while. Like, I'm going to start giving again. Uh, let me just tell you, uh, you can't manipulate God that way. Just so you know. Okay, let's make that clear. Uh, but in our minds, we're thinking, well, things aren't going good for me. So therefore, I'm going to do the things I know I should be doing. Right? I'm going to start helping somebody else. I'm going to start serving. And I'm going to get everything right with God. And then my situation will change. And that's what we're trying to do. But the thing that we need to realize is that we should be more consistent than that as Christians, shouldn't we? Because what happens then is that we change and we, we start doing all these things in the storms. And then when we come out of the storm and our life seems to smooth out a little bit, what happens? We go back to our old ways. And we stop serving others, and we stop giving, and we stop uh, participating, we stop going to church, we stop reading our Bibles. And, and it's in those difficult times. And the thing that I want you to see here is that Paul served in the storm and he served out of the storm. He was consistent. He was faithful in those things. He also served when he didn't have to serve. Nobody asked him. Nobody said, hey, Paul, can you go get some more wood for the fire? Nobody said that to him. He took initiative and he went out and began to serve others. The question that I asked myself this week and I want to ask you this morning is this, what does it take for you to stop serving the Lord? Maybe for some of you, it's the opposite of that. When it's rough, when times are difficult, you're like, you don't go to church, you're not involved in anything, uh, you, just totally go, you just totally disappear because it's just been a rough week or it's been a rough day or I've had a hard time. You're like, you know what, I just need, I just need some time for me, right? I need some time to kind of recharge myself and it becomes about you. Here's what I want you to know about the Christian life is that serving and living for the Lord isn't about us, it's about others. And Paul is illustrating that to us. He said in the storm, he's trying to encourage, and in the, in, when the storm's over, he's still serving. He's looking for ways to be a blessing. He's following after what Jesus taught us in Mark 10, 45, that even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. If anyone deserved to be on this earth and say, you serve me, it was Jesus Christ, don't you think? We are, after all, his creation. His disciples were his creation. He knew them before uh, they were even born. He knew them in the womb. He is God Almighty. And he said, you serve me. But what do we see our holy uh, Savior teaching us is that he came and he served and he gave of himself even when he didn't have to. And that's what Paul is showing us here. He didn't have to serve them. And things seemed to be okay, but yet he still went out and he found a way to serve other people. Man, what a great lesson that is. That even in the storm and outside of the storm, we need to remain true and faithful. Man, Paul is showing us here consistency, isn't he? consistency. Now, you and I, if we'd be honest with each other, we would say, man, my Christian life, my, my service to others is like the waves on the sea. <laughs> you know, It's up and it's down and it's up and it's down and I'm discouraged so I don't do this. Listen, the Christian life is a steady, is a steady thing. It's a steady thing. You say, I don't even feel like it. I really, don't, I really don't think Paul felt like going out and finding dry firewood. Do you? We know he had, he had issues. <laughs> he had vision issues. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, he's out in the pouring rain. He's trying to find... I don't think he really wanted to, but he also knew that he was called to be the servant of Christ, and we are as well. As Christians today, one of the best things you can do when you're feeling down and discouraged is to serve other people. Man, it, it brings such a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. But Paul here is a noble example of having a heart to serve. And so he served unaffected by anything. It wasn't affected by the storm. He wasn't affected by uh, being out of the storm. He served unaffected. But secondly, we see how then attacks returned unexpected. Now, this is an interesting thing. Point number two, attacks return unexpected. Let's look at verse number three. Well, Paul then, he had gathered a bundle of sticks, and look what happens. 
and he laid them in the fire, and there came a viper out of the heat (laughs) and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this bro's a murderer. I did say bro, sorry. This man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not <laughs> to live. Now, this is so, so much is happening here. This is interesting. So Paul is out there and he's trying to do a good thing and he's gathering sticks and he gets a bundle of sticks together to go and put on the fire. Now, we know snakes in the wintertime. If you study out some snakes, you can do this this week, do some snake studies. You know, they, they, uh, they, they become lethargical in the wintertime. You know, they're trying to find a spot, you know, where they can kind of hole up and that's their home. And this snake found a spot here. And Paul, maybe his, because his eyesight was bad, you know, I don't know, he gathers up all these sticks and he doesn't see that there's a poisonous snake right in his arms. Now, some of you, I don't know if you like snakes or not. I do not like snakes. So here he is, and he's got this uh, bundle of sticks, and he's walking along. And as he's walking along, you know, and he's saying, hey, man, I'm so glad you made it. And he's talking, and that snake's like, what is going on to my home, you know? And the snake's kind of starting to wake up a little bit. And, and Paul, he goes to the fire now, and he's like, check it out. I found some wood. You know, I found some sticks. And they're all like, yay, Paul, you're the best, <laughs> uh, you know? And he goes, and as he begins to put the, fu- the wood, he's taking those sticks, and he's putting them on, on the fire. It tells us that this snake, obviously, you put in a fire, wakes up, figures out what's going on, and it says that it fastened right on his hand. Notice it doesn't say bite his hand. It says it fastened on his hand. It locked in. And that's a common thing with snakes. And they bite you, man. So I got to pinch them behind the neck. And they, I mean, they fasten right onto your, oh, that's, anyway, okay. Brandon, Brandon's like, yes, yes, yes. And he fastened right in his hand and it held on to him. And it says that when he put his hand out, all the barbarians, well, the people around there saw him and they're like, that dude's a murderer. Okay, and we'll cover that in a second here. But think about this for a minute. He puts his hand and the snake fastens on him. Now, I don't, have you ever been bit by a snake before? I have when I was a kid, like little gardener snakes, you know, and you hold them up and it's like, ha, 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 and you pull it off. It doesn't really hurt at all. I've never been, had a, a snake fasten on to me, but I have had a poodle fasten on to me one time. I was 10 years old and this poodle jumped. We were at somebody's house and I didn't know. I must have startled it and it jumped and it fastened onto my arm as a 10-year-old. And the only way I could get that poodle off was to hit his head repeatedly on the kitchen counter and then it finally fell off. And just tore my arm all up. That's a, yeah, that's a, that was a, that scarred me for quite a while. I was scared of dogs for a while, especially poodles, little white poodles. I'm scared of them. And, uh, and so I know what that's like, okay? But imagine a snake. And so this venomous snake, and everyone knew that it was poisonous. Did you notice that? Because they were like, whoa, he's a dead man. Because as soon as he held it up, they're like, this guy must be a murderer. This is interesting here. Why would they call him a murderer? Now, again, this comes back to the way that we view life and the way that ancient cultures viewed life. Those Phoenicians and even the Greeks and the Romans that were there, they viewed things so much more uh, in a spiritual light, you would say. Not, not necessarily like a true spiritual light, but they connected things in more of a spiritual way. Uh, people who come from other cultures maybe understand this in a little bit uh, better way where it seems like everything that happens, everybody's like, oh, God's happy with you, right? Or, oh, God's angry at you. And that's how they viewed many things. And so here's one of the interesting things about the Phoenician culture. If you survived a shipwreck, that meant that you were like a pure person. Because the gods had favor on you and you were innocent of all things. But if you were bitten by a snake to them, uh, it meant that you were guilty of some wrongdoing. No matter what happened, if you were bit by a snake, you were guilty of some wrong, wrongdoing. So that's why when he's bit by the snake, they're like, he's a, he must be a murderer. <laughs> this guy must be guilty of something very bad. And then they even invoke vengeance. Did you notice that? Now that was a reference to uh, the Greek god, the daughter of Zeus, uh, who was, uh, who, and I can't remember her exact name, but basically it meant vengeance. And that was the idea is that she would get you if you were, you know, today we'd call it karma, right? 
Karma caught up to the Apostle Paul. He survived the shipwreck, but man, he must be a bad guy. And so this was a superstitious claim, of course. But the thing I see in this is how, how much is this a picture of how life is, right? <laughs> you finally get out of one good thing, and then it's like, boom, <laughs> you get attacked. Paul's just happy to find some wood for the fire. <laughs> and then out of that fire, he is attacked. Now, to me, I, I think we should not miss out on the symbolism that it was a snake that attacked him. You know, as Christians, of course, we recognize that Satan is the serpent, isn't he? He is the one who is going about. He, he appeared first as a serpent, of course, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, and, and, and he attacked him in that way. And, and I think one of the things we can learn from this is just don't be surprised that when things are going along, you've got to watch out for those smaller attacks that come our way. You know, sometimes when we walk through a difficulty and we feel like we're doing well and, you know, I'm walking with the Lord, I'm being faithful to my devotions, and then that little snake, that little temptation comes along. Uh, that lust kind of rears its head in your life. Uh, that bitterness kind of takes hold of you again. We need to be aware as Christians that Satan will take any opportunity he can to discourage you and to break down and to separate you from your walk with God. Well, Paul is standing there and he's got a snake stuck on his hand, all right? So this is where we paused the story. He's got this snake hanging from him. It's a viper. It's poisonous. How did he respond? Look at verse number five. And he shook off the beast into the fire and he felt no harm. Two interesting details there. He just simply shook it off into the fire and he felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have been swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Now this is, again, this is a silly thing. So he's got this snake and he, and he shakes it off into the fire there. And it says that he felt no harm. But then uh, we see these people gather around him and it says that they looked at him for a good while. This is so, this, to me, this is so weird, you know? They all stand around, they're like, yeah, he's probably going to swell up next. Yeah, oh, okay, watch his fingers, watch his fingers. Are they swelling up? Oh, it's so gross. You should see it. It swells up in the hand and it moves up his arm, and then he's just going to pass out. And it's over. He's dead. We can't do anything for him. You know, nobody was coming over and cutting his wrist and sucking the poison out like you see, you know, in movies. Nobody was helping him. They just all stood around and watched him. He's a dead duck, man. This guy is going to die. But then we see Paul here just shake off <laughs> this attack. I, I love that. And he also shakes off their accusations. He's just like, man, forget about it. Now, this to me is so great because this is a great way to approach life. Whenever we face attacks, whenever we go through difficulties, whenever we are stressed out of our minds, whenever we are hurt, uh, whenever we are struggling with our own pride, or uh, maybe we are struggling with envy, when somebody gossips about you, when you feel alone, when uh, you feel uh, your past come knocking again and, and, and bringing itself back up into your life and your past mistakes and sin, our natural response is to panic, isn't it? Our natural response is to, to resist it and to run from it or, or, to, or to react in anger, right? Our response is to lash out at, at others or to lash out at God or to question God and to doubt Him and say, why, why is this happening to me? And we struggle, but yet we see a beautiful example of how to respond when attacks come to our life, when things come our way, is just what Paul did is we just need to shake it off. <laughs> and we don't shake it off because Taylor Swift told us to, all right? We shake it off <laughs> because, okay, we'll just take a minute for you to recover. <laughs> We shake it off, we resist it, we push it aside, we get rid of those attacks, we pretend. Paul said it didn't even hurt him. We, we resist it and we shake it off into the fire where it came from. And we shake it off because, because of God's grace in our lives. Here's, here's what you got to get, okay? God's grace. Just like God's grace was there for Paul in this moment, his grace for salvation was the same grace 
of strength to help him get through the attack that he was facing. You say, what are you talking about? Well, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul said, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is a powerful, powerful verse here. But the thing I want us to get is that he said, my grace, God's grace is sufficient, meaning it is enough. It is enough for you. It is enough for what you're going through. Here's what I want you to understand. For all of those, those of you that put their trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, so you are saved today, right? Well, we are trusting in God's grace, his undeserved favor to us. Well, what is that favor? It's the fact that he uh, died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And when he rose again, what did God do? He proved to us that he was enough of a sacrifice, right? He was sufficient for our sins. And he paid the penalty for our sins through his death, his burial, and his resurrection proved that he had the power to do that. Well, not only does God's grace to us, saving grace to us, uh, make a difference for our eternity, but his grace to us, his power over death and his power over this earth is enough to change us from the inside, to transform us, to make us new, and also give us the strength to face the attacks of our enemy. Okay? His grace is enough for us. Christ's death and his resurrection leads us to transformation, and it leads us to strength as well. Strength as well. And so when Scripture says, my grace is enough for you, guess what? It is enough for you. Because he revealed to us through his grace that he is all-powerful and that he is above death, and he is also above the attacks and the difficulties that you face. And so it is possible for you, through the grace of God, to shake off those attacks. To, to, to get rid of them, to not allow them to clamp onto you and to hold you back and to, and to poison you. It really is possible through the grace and the strength and the power of God, but we must submit ourselves to that grace. James chapter 4, verse number tell, uh, 7 tells us to submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, what is that submission part? That submission is putting ourselves under the grace of God putting ourselves under his strength, putting ourselves in his hands and trusting him. And Paul is attacked, but he shakes it off. And in a miracle, God protects him from that physical poison that that snake had. And for us, God's strength and God's grace will protect us from any of those attacks and those things that we may face. Even when it feels like I can't handle this, I can't deal with this, I can't overcome this. Listen, God's grace, if you put yourself under the grace of God and his strength and his power, it can radically transform your life and it can give you what you need to resist and to live and to be able to allow life's difficulties to just sort of bounce right off of you and to shake them off and to remove them and to not be affected uh, by them in your life. And Paul here was protected in that way. You know what this reminds us of? It reminds us of the fact that there is no safer place for you to be than in the center of God's will. Oh, don't ever forget that. You say, you say that a lot, Pastor. Yes, I do, because I need to hear it. The safest place for me is to be in the center of God's will. And no snake bite, no accident, no disease, and no virus is going to take me before God says so. Man, we need that today, don't we? We need that today. We need to know that, that God is completely in control. And that's why we can live in confidence, even in times that we're in right now in our community and times that we're going through in our city that, listen, God is in control of my situation. God is in control. And God had something for Paul to do in Rome, but he also had something for God, uh, for, uh, sorry, he had something for Paul to do in Malta as well. And so I want to see this lastly today. We see victory is seen undoubted. 
A tax return unexpected, but victory is about to be seen. In verse number seven, in the same quarters, that's in the same region. So this guy had a place, just so you know, I had a place looking out over St. Paul's Bay. As it is today, if you research it, I was like, man, I want to go on holiday there. Uh, I got to work on that. But uh, if the world, I'm ready to go to Malta and check this place out. But it says in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island. So the guy who's running it all, he was, this was a Roman, by the way, Roman occupied island, of course. So he would have been someone who had been placed there by the uh, Romans. And it says his name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. Well, Publius here was somebody who lived close enough. He saw what had happened. And it says here that he hosted all 276 of the people. I mean, that's what we assume. Can you imagine what that was like when he went to his wife and was like, hey, can I have some people over? (laughs) How many people? (laughs) How many people? 275 people. And so they say, all right, we got all the room. I don't know. I mean, it could have been Paul and maybe a few others. I don't know. But either way, this guy made himself available to Paul and those, and he was very, very kind to them. And then we come to verse number, 20, uh, verse number eight. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Well, as Paul gets to know Publius's family and he tells him, man, my, my dad has been sick for a while and he has this fever and he has what is called a bloody flux, which today we would call that dysentery. I don't encourage you to go and research the effects of this, uh, but it's not a great thing to have, just so you know. Interestingly enough, it was something that was very common in that region, and it came because of these certain microbes that would be developed in goat's milk because of the region and what they would eat. And so they had this, and so it was a very common thing for people to have this dysentery and this fever and this sickness. It could last for a few months. It could last for a few years. It was a very common thing, but yet we see Paul here going to him, and with the power of God, he heals his father. This is the first instance of Paul healing somebody uh, up uh, until, uh, if you remember, Eutychus. Remember, fell out of the, fell out of the window there and died, and he, he brought him back. Well, this is the first time that we see Paul again healing somebody, and he heals Publius' father there in Malta. Well, when that happened, of course, word got out, verse number nine. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases on the island, came and were healed who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. Well, here's what we see. God was, u- or God was definitely working through Paul here on the island of Malta. And as we close today, I want to encourage you uh, with this thought, that Paul for sure used this opportunity to share the gospel in that are on that island. Think about this. You cannot heal somebody in Jesus' name without mentioning who Jesus is. And we know that Paul, if he was uh, healing people and seeing these things happen through this apostolic sign gift that was given for a time, Paul's the last one that we see in Scripture who had this gift uh, that was given to him. But yet in this moment, and this was not very common for him, but he healed Publius' father, but then he began to heal other people. And I believe he began to tell them, of course, and preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I bet every guy on that boat for two straight weeks heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I guarantee you Paul was preaching. It's interesting. Church history teaches us that Publius became the first church leader there on the island of Malta. He led what was called the Maltese church, and he led it for 31 years before he moved to Athens, where eventually he was martyred for his faith. You say, what are we doing? God got the victory in this. (laughs) 
God got the victory in this. God had Publius sitting there that God wanted to reach with the gospel. And so he sent a storm that blew him 750 kilometers away so that God could be revealed to this man. And people could come to faith and know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords and he is the Savior of the world. What a powerful story of God's grace in the life of the Apostle Paul. You got to think about it. On the heels of a terrible shipwreck, God used him in a tremendous way. And I am so thankful that Paul did not stop serving. Even when the storm ended, he continued to give us that perfect example of, of, of focus and of consistency when it comes to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me of Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9, that tells us, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In due season we will reap if we faint not. I want to encourage you today with this church family, listen, don't lose heart in doing the right things. And that's what happens to us. Man, we, we serve the Lord for a while and we just get like, you know what, why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I giving? I could, I could use this money for something. Why am I giving faithfully? Why am I tithing? Why am I giving uh, to the church? You know, I get tired of it and we stop or whatever. Listen, don't get weary in well-doing because eventually you will reap. I think too often in the Christian life, we do not reap the blessings of God because we're not sowing the seed of faithfulness and obedience. And he says, if you are faithful to the end, if you continue on, whether it's in the storm or whether it's in the, the calm seas, God will, you will reap the blessings of God. And so do not grow weary and well-doing. Today, for me, the application is very, very clear. And it's this, no matter what season we find ourselves in, no matter how difficult it might be, whether it's a storm or whether it's a time of calm, we must remain faithful to God and we must remain alert for the attacks of our enemy. He could just be hiding anywhere. I'm not trying to creep you out or anything, but it's the truth. Whether we're in a difficult time and it's just being piled on us and the temptation is coming from all, all sides or whether we're walking with the Lord and things are just seemingly smooth and going well, we need to be aware that our enemy is still continually attacking us. And so that's why we need to remain under the umbrella and the protection of the grace of our God. You know, when we make it about God, church family, it's way easier than when we make it about ourselves, isn't it? When we make it about God and about His glory, it's way easier to live life and to walk through the difficulties of life than it is just making it about ourselves all the time. Because as Christ, as He is lifted up, He says He'll draw men to Him. And I'll tell you this, when Christ is lifted up, He makes everything else look very, very, <laughs> very, very dim. There's a song that says, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We, taught, we sang that here at the beginning of the service. And what is that telling us? That when we lift Christ up, when we put our eyes on Him, the troubles and the difficulties of this life are just really nothing. And that's what I want to encourage you with today, to lift Christ up in your heart, to lift Him up in your life, to make your life about Him. It's hard to serve the Lord with your eyes on yourself. It's very hard to do that. You'll get discouraged and, you'll, and maybe, maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you're trying to serve the Lord and live for Him with your eyes on yourself. That's going to be a struggle. That's going to be hard. So let's put our eyes back on Christ. Let's lift him up and let's learn from the Apostle Paul's example to us today. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue his will for your life.